Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. This morning we open up the Christmas season at Indianola First, and we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive into the biblical story that is the very reason for the season. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at some of the people within that story that are somewhat less popular. Most of us have heard them, heard of them, sure, but I, I want to talk about these not-so-well-known characters from that first Christmas and how they missed the greatest gift that was ever given to mankind. There's a little bit of a ring on this. I, if you just kind of change that a little bit for me, appreciate that. We might even be able to relate to them a bit as we move beyond those perfect little pictures that we have in our minds, right? We have those, right, of what that first scene would have been like, that, that stable scene, that nativity scene. And uh, even, even those little nativity scenes that we take out and we display in our houses during the holidays, sometimes those pictures and even the nativity sets we buy, they're not as accurate as we might think. And... and and with just a little study of the cultural and historical context, we can get an even more accurate picture and not fall victim to the suggestive predispositions or dispositions of commercialism or even Hollywood's version of that first Christmas. And there's a lot of like little messed up things, and I, I could go through them today, but I, I don't have time to do that, but um, within the nativity. So let's start with that character who has been painted out to be a merciless, heartless, businessman who had no compassion for a young pregnant girl, let's talk about the infamous innkeeper. For centuries, people have painted a picture of this guy as a real jerk. I mean, how could you not find a room for a young couple in this situation? How could you be so soulless to not even uh, give some suggestions to somewhere else that they might have room. And it's, it's really easy to let your mind go, to, and, and, go and, and develop a really poor opinion of this manager of the inn. But here's the kicker. There is never an innkeeper mentioned in the Bible. Really. There is not. I mean, after all those Christmas pageants, all those little storybook versions of the nativity where the innkeeper says, sorry, no room for the likes of you, after all those sermons, we've heard about this innkeeper who, who turned Mary, Joseph, and ultimately Jesus away, and how we should be careful not to turn him away also, only to find out that this guy is, uh, isn't even in Scripture. It, it's just a little bit mind-blowing. I'm going to remove this because it's just ringing too much for me. So someone can come up and assist me. Sorry to get undressed for you all there. <laughs> but it's a little mind-blowing, isn't it? I mean, we thought that this innkeeper really did exist, and, and really, in reality, we just assumed that he did. So let's look at the Scripture, and I'll, and I'll show you what I mean. Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the very first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered. 
each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the uh, he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. There is no mention of an innkeeper in that entire scripture. We do see that there is an inn mentioned, but is that the same thing as a hotel? It's kind of how we think of it, or maybe a bed and breakfast kind of place. The original Greek word that is translated in is the word uh, kataluma. Everybody say kataluma. You just spoke Greek. Which every other time used in the New Testament is translated guest room. Translating this word as in, is, it isn't wrong, but because of our modern ideas of what an inn is, we think of it as a hotel of sorts. Many Bible scholars believe that the inn they were told was too full was more than likely a relative's house where the guest room was already occupied. And let me give you some good hermeneutical advice. Always think about who the writer was writing to first when you're reading scripture. Who would his first readers be and how would they receive and interpret what was written? That's where you're gonna find some accuracy. And in this case, Luke was writing down historical accounts of what had taken place. He gives some historical context and then gives us some details about the birth of the Messiah. Looking at the Matthew account of the birth of Christ, you will find even more details, especially in ref reference to Joseph, who was to be Mary's husband. She was promised to him. But he hadn't married her yet and had not slept with her. And can you imagine the shock of finding out that your fiance, so to speak, your betrothed was pregnant and you know it wasn't you. And it's not just ex extra information for us either that Caesar Augustus had given a decree. This was Caesar. What he said had to be followed. According to the decree, everyone had to be counted and that meant they must all go to the town of their birth. Joseph's town was Bethlehem. It wasn't a large town by any means, just a small little town just outside of Jerusalem. They traveled from Nazareth, which was about 70 miles as the crow flies, but they probably traveled about 90 miles to get there. Joseph would have had family there in his hometown. And he and Mary were certainly seeking shelter by the time they arrived. It's not known how long it took them to travel this distance. She was very pregnant and they probably traveled at a little slower pace. I, I don't know, pregnant ladies, is that true? I would think it would be. So it could have taken several days, but, but to know for sure, you're just gonna have to make heaven and ask them, I guess. I think about the inconvenience that this must have been for them. Again, they didn't really have a choice. The Jews living within the Roman Empire at the time were subject to the Romans. They were a politically and militarily suppressed people. We can't forget that, what's going on? What's happening historically during this time? And it didn't matter that Mary was pregnant, not to Caesar, they had to go to Bethlehem. That's what they had to do. And let's not forget the providence of God here either. The prophet Micah prophesied more than 700 years previous to the birth of Christ in Micah chapter five, verse two. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you 
are, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from an old, from ancient days. Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. That's King David's town. And if Caesar doesn't make his decree, then Joseph and Mary probably would have stayed in Nazareth and comfortably had the baby there. And how many know that God's in control? Micah prophesied this, that the Savior would come from Bethlehem, the city of David, King David's city, which Joseph was a part of King David's lineage, and God made sure that this baby was going to be born in Bethlehem. There's so many prophetic things in the Word of God regarding the birth of Christ, regarding Jesus himself, and they're always fulfilled. Always fulfilled. It's very, very interesting, and it's not by happenstance that that's the case. So upon getting to their relative's house, there was no room. The guest room is occupied, presumably because there were other family members who also had traveled to Bethlehem and needed housing too. We often think of Mary and Joseph traveling at night. And upon finally arriving, they are turned away from the inn and they have to seek shelter immediately because the time had come for Mary to give birth, so they, they end up in a barn. But it's more probable that they traveled during the day and it probably, again, took them a few days, but they, they did this to avoid the dangers of traveling at night. And then upon arriving at their relatives, later than some of the other relatives, found out that the guest room was full and then were offered the first floor area of the home. I'm sure this was a welcomed alternative to both of them after traveling with Mary in her condition. And this area of the home was commonly used to house their animals. It would have been less probable for them to keep animals in a cave or in some kind of outbuilding as the animals were some of their most prized possessions, most valuable possessions. Keeping the animals in the lower part of the home meant kept keeping them more secure and it also provided a little heat uh, for, for some of the family as they slept upstairs. Even some of the architectural history from that time period, it, it really bears this out, that that's probably more how it was. And if this was the scenario, the picture in our minds, it, it shifts a bit. And instead of the distracted innkeeper with no compassion, too busy to understand and see the importance of what was really going down that night, we have a house full of relatives that were all busy and distracted with the preparations that go into having a full house, all the distractions of the travel is that they had just endured. And I, I'm sure the, the, the hot current event subject was Caesar and this extremely inconvenient decree that had forced so many people into traveling. I imagine that the relatives felt somewhat like we do when we travel as well, um, but probably to a greater degree. You know, when you finally arrive at your destination, it's, it's been like, uh, oh my gosh, five hours in the car or eight hours in the car. Oh, wow, we just spent three hours in a plane another hour and a half in the airport, we're tired, you get to your destination, what do you want to do? You just want to lay down, right? You just want to relax a little bit. You want to finally breathe, we're, we're here. The kids can stop saying, are we there yet? And there's a relief that comes when we're done with the travel part. And it's usually followed by a good night's sleep and, and hopefully in a comfortable bed. But these relatives were experiencing, I think, all of this when 
There's a knock at the door. Here's some more relatives. Oh, it's Joseph and his new wife. And she's pregnant. Well, there, there's some... We're full, man. We have, we're busting, busting at the seams here. But there's room downstairs. We'll get you in there. Will that work for you guys? Let me make my point. Some people ask the question, where are you, Christmas? Where is all the love, joy, hope, and peace that Christmas is supposed to bring? I'm just not feeling it this year. And I think one of the reasons we sometimes miss it is that we are so distracted, kind of like I believe some of these relatives of Joseph were on that first Christmas night. If this is how Mary and Joseph ended up laying their newborn baby in a manger while staying where the animals stayed, then it, it could mean that there were relatives upstairs reconnecting and visiting and relaxing while their promised Messiah was being born below them. And I, I imagine that there were relatives, uh, maybe, maybe some of the ladies in the house, that assisted Mary with the birth. We don't know, but it would be crazy to believe that within that full house of company, that there were some who just stayed put and missed the whole thing. This was the moment of the incarnation. God became man in this moment. This is the moment that the infinite became finite. This is the moment that the word of God became human flesh. It was the greatest thing that had ever taken place on the face of the earth. And to think that it's possible, some of the relatives upstairs missed it completely because they were too distracted. It, it, it's unbelievable. They missed it. How would you like to be the person in heaven someday who said, I was just upstairs, I, I was talking, I, I missed it. Where were you? You're, you're Joseph's relative, right? Where were you the night that Jesus was born? I, I was in the outhouse. I, I was talking upstairs. I was sleeping. I was enjoying the other relatives. It's possible that there are people that may have to say that. And I'm sorry to ask this, but when your families get together, is there ever any family drama that distracts the family away from the very reason that they got together in the first place? Does anybody experience family drama here when you meet with family? Oh, come on, raise your hand if that's you. We'll be really honest in church today. Family drama. Some of you have no family drama. You're amazing. You should write a book. Family drama. We get together to spend time to love on one another, to encourage each other, and to, of, of course, distract one another away from the true meaning of Christmas in any way that we can. We don't mean to, it just kind of happens, doesn't it? Distractions, especially family distractions, they are inevitable during the holidays. But maybe our handling of those distractions is part of the reason we miss it and end up asking ourselves, where are you, Christmas? It's like the Holy Spirit is saying, move past the distractions. Christmas is happening right now, downstairs, where you keep the animals. And I'm not talking about the kids that you send downstairs when you're all together. <laughs> distractions come in many forms. And not always, but often, are connected to families getting together. And the first, maybe, family distraction or 
is, is the distraction of the political rhetoric, I'll call it the political rhetoric distraction, right? We get together to celebrate the birth of Christ and almost like clockwork, an argument breaks out regarding the current political climate and all the rhetoric that goes with it. Have you ever been a part of one of those? Fights about who's in office and how they got there and of course all those conspiracy theories about COVID vaccines and immunizations and Biden in the basement with Hunter's laptop and Russia, Trump collusions, the Illuminati and their push for world domination and the January 6th insurrection. All of those things, right? Some of you just experienced a rise in your own temperatures. I mentioned those things. <laughs> but here's what I have to say about conspiracy theories. Noah was a conspiracy theorist, and then it rained. Okay. Someone just shoot low, Sheriff. They're riding Shetlands, right? Okay, they missed that one. My point is, if, if there is anything political or social or cultural that can be argued about, it usually finds a way to happen when families are together. It just starts coming out. Proverbs 26, 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. What does that mean? It means that when you answer the foolish arguments of a fool, you will become as foolish as they are. I like remembering verses like this. It keeps you in check. My dad used to say, better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than open your mouth and prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I think that's true as well. And isn't it interesting that those types of arguments, they never change anyone's mind. Have you noticed that? It just causes tension and then gets people angry. And then everybody misses Christmas. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I, I mentioned this before, but it would have been really strange if Joseph's family were all together and no one talked about what Caesar was doing and their opinion about having uh, to live under Roman control. I mean, it was one of the hot topics of the times they were in. They hated being under godless authority. They hated that. They were God's chosen people, for crying out loud. This wasn't how it was supposed to be. And I understand that those topics can, they can be fun to talk about, especially when there's some agreement within families. Just don't let the agreement or disagreements in regard to these types of topics become the main reason for getting together. And if you were to take all the time that you spend with your family, take all the conversation, and you were to categorize it, how much of it would be about Jesus and his birth at Christmas time? How much of it would be about that? And how much of it would be about what's going on in the world right now? The political scene. The things they fight about that are goofy. I think that says what the meeting was about, doesn't it? At least it's evidence that maybe this isn't as much about Christmas as we were thinking it was going to be. It's more about just being right or being heard because we know we're right. The distraction of the political rhetoric. And then number two, the, the gossip distraction. Isn't it great? Here we are again, all together as family, setting time aside to worship the child that was given for us, Jesus Christ, and then there it is. 
the family gossipers enter stage left and they drop some awesome knowledge on you. And let's be honest, within every family there are those that gossip and there are those that listen to the gossip. Those that absolutely know who got pregnant when and the circumstances surrounding every circumstantial situation, how bad everyone's marriage really is, who is currently in therapy, who got the DUI and which nephew was fired again from yet another job, what a deadbeat. I wonder if there was any gossip about Mary and Joseph that night. She sure got pregnant quick after getting married. And Joseph's like, it wasn't me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and wow, that marriage sure happened just all of a sudden. I thought they were going to wait a while. Well, I heard that she conceived by the Holy Spirit. What? <laughs> Who does she think she is? The mother of Jesus? the mother of, of, of our Savior? I mean, I wonder if, if that's what was going on. What a distraction. The family gossip train is tooting its horn so loud that nobody can hear what God is saying in the moment. Gossip, whether you speak it or listen to it, always drowns out the voice of God in your own spirit. Always. I, I said in our, in our series on having a thankful heart that you can't speak negatively about someone or something while giving God thanks for that same someone or something. And, and in the same way, you can't hear God's voice while you're listening to or speaking gossip about someone else. You just can't hear his voice. Colossians 3.8 says, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And let's lump those into this. Let's lump, um, lump this, this other thing I'm going to talk about in a second here into this that can only be described as having diarrhea of the mouth and simultaneously having constipation of the brain. And what I'm talking about is, is those people that just are loud and obnoxious and say things not in a secretive way. I mean, gossip's kind of secretive, right? It's secretive when it's delivered, but there are those that just say things in such a hurtful, nasty, bold, blunt way, and they blurt it out in front of everybody. Sarcasm, sarcasm can be like that sometimes when it's spoken in a belittling way. Comments about one another's kids or spouse, cruel comments about someone's weight. Anybody ever been weight shamed when you went to a family event? Every time I go to a family event, the list goes on and on. You know what I'm talking about, though, all sorts of things that they say. There's always that one person who just says what they think, right? And they're very proud of it. I speak my mind. So you got the gossip distraction. You got the big mouth thing going on. I'm, I'm lumping them together a little bit. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may be, that it may give grace to those who hear. And maybe comments like that are spoken to manipulate the situation as to deflect people away from seeing their own shortcomings, right? They don't want anybody to see their shortcomings, so I'm going to be loud and obnoxious and just deflect. I don't know, but whether it's gossip or just nasty talk, it can be a huge distraction. And hurt feelings start overriding the love, joy, hope, and peace that we're supposed to have during this time of year. 
And we find ourselves asking, where are you, Christmas? Where are you? We're distracted. Number three, the comparison distraction. Maybe I'm stretching a bit here, but uh, do you ever find yourself amongst family and all of a sudden, out of the blue, you feel like you're swimming in a pond of insecurity? Maybe it's your own insecurity raising its ugly head, or maybe it's you see it operating in others, but it just becomes a goofy distraction. And oftentimes that insecurity is fueled by the comparisons that are made between family members, whether spoken or unspoken. And I think this happens a lot between siblings. Who drives the nicest car? Who's got the best job? Who aged the most? Whose kids are more successful? Whose business is growing the most? Or who's got the best job currently? Who cares, right? The number of things we start comparing is just ridiculous. And I, there's nothing in Scripture about any family members or guests ignoring what was going on in that animal shelter the night Jesus was born. But if there were a lot of family around, you can imagine that there were some, at least some insecurities flowing. I can't prove it, but it sure seems probable. Insecurities that come from comparisons are really, they're really sourced in jealousy and self-centeredness. James 3.16 for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. And whether that's your struggle or you just feel surrounded by others that struggle with, with that same thing, don't, don't let it become the reason that you would ever ask, where are you Christmas? Distractions, and specifically family-related distractions, can absolutely ruin your Christmas and suck the love, joy, hope, and peace right out of it. I, I, I love my family. I, I think we can all say that. But if we let these kinds of distractions rob us from experiencing the wonder and magnificence of the Christmas season, the only person to blame is yourself, is ourselves, right? And let's purpose it in our hearts today that we will lead in these areas when we are with family. Let's steer conversations away from political and social rhetoric. Let's stop gossip in its tracks. Let's be so encouraging to those that we are around that the distraction of comparison just can't find a foothold with anyone we're with. Christmas is about the birth of our Savior. Jesus Christ, he stepped out of heaven and became like us so that he could live a perfect life without sin and eventually die for our sins. And I, I, I know this has been said a bajillion times, but we couldn't have the cross if we didn't have Christmas first, right? So let this be the year that you ask him into your heart and let him change the very core of who you are. Let him mold you from the inside out into the person that he's created you to be. And if you haven't entered into that personal relationship that he longs to have with you, make that choice today. You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting that we do all of these things at Christmas time. We get so busy, we, and, and a lot of it revolves around family, right? And we come together and we do this stuff, and, and nobody really, really talks about Christmas most of the time. I'm not saying everybody. I mean, I think some do. But nobody really talks about true Christmas. They're distracted with all the other stuff. 
if there is any place where worship and discussion should happen in regards to who Jesus is and what this time of year means and maybe even some family Bible reading, it should be at Christmas time. It should be at a family gathering, right? At Christmas time. And yet that's sometimes the last thing we do if we do it at all. Instead of walking through this year, same old, same old, I guess I'm challenging you to rise above all that and be the leader in your own family. Bring Christmas to them. Don't let people talk the way they talk sometimes. How many of you like to argue politically? Raise your hand. You just like that. You enjoy that. It's okay. I'm not, I'm not picking on you. You like to get in those conversations? Great. You're probably also the one that someone's targeting at Christmas time. So when they come in for you and they drop the bomb on you, you know, to get you riled up, just be like, hey, it's Christmas. Let's not, let's not go there this year. Let's talk about Jesus. You know, we are in control of that, church. And you can change the whole atmosphere of your family gathering, wherever you go, or if, you know, if it's at your house, you can change the atmosphere of your gathering by just not allowing yourself to be distracted. Let's pray today. Father God, we love you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, as we, we enter into this last month of the year, the time we celebrate you and, and all that you brought when you stepped out of heaven and became a man. God, I ask that you would set our hearts in a focused way, God, that we will lead in those things, that we will bring Jesus to every situation and circumstance we find ourselves in, especially the family situations, the family gatherings. And Lord, Give us the strength to shut our mouths so that we can speak wisely and open hearts. Lord, I ask that if there's anyone in this room that's never accepted you as their Savior, that they would do so even now as we pray together. Lord Jesus, come into my heart today. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I accept you and all that you are. Forgive me of my sins and set me free to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's what we're celebrating this Christmas. Wonderful Counselor, we're celebrating his name. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're celebrating Jesus. Jesus this year. Amen. Amen.
Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.